Hello, and welcome to the Church 860 podcast. My name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor of Church 860 located in Westerville, Ohio. Our podcast will have daily episodes uploaded where we have curated some of the best Bible teaching from across the globe. We hope you enjoy today's episode. So grateful, Heavenly Father, that you have given us your word, that we hold this Bible in our laps as a a commentary, a story, God, an an instruction on how we are to live our lives and how we are to, to mold and shape our lives, Lord. We see the life of Jesus portrayed on these pages, Lord, and we see the love that he walked in. We see the love that he uh, was obedient to the, the mandate of you, the Father, to go into the world. And we are grateful, God. We are so grateful for that love that compelled Jesus to do all that he did, including headed or going to the cross. Father, we're headed toward the communion table at the end of service today. I pray even now that you would stir our hearts for that time that we would, when we come to the table, do these things in remembrance of You for all that You have done for us. And I pray that we would live a life of love similar to that of Jesus. Help us to see that in Your Word today as we study. Help me to rightly divide Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. After the Feast of Tabernacles in John chapter 8, Jesus, as they were tearing down the tabernacle feast, proclaimed one of His ego ami statements, the I am statements, where He said, I am the light of the world. He proclaimed that those walking in darkness would now be able to see because He was the light. He proclaimed in that statement to be the I am. To be God. A rightful statement for Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. He is deity. But those that were still blind, that could not see that, saw that act as blasphemy. And so they picked up stones. They called Him, surely you're a Samaritan. You have a demon. And in fact, what they picked up stones to kill Him for, the act of committing blasphemy they themselves were guilty of by calling him saying he was demonic but what we saw at the end of chapter 8 last week was god is sovereign god is in control and this was not yet jesus's time it wasn't time for him to go he wasn't going to go at the hands of these men just yet he wasn't going to die a death by being stoned to death we're about 6 months away from the cross right now in the book of John. And John really slows things down for the rest of the book to take these last six months in stride. But he says, now's not the time. And so Jesus avoids being stoned, escapes from their hands, and moves on. And that's where we pick up John chapter 9. You with me? Let's read. John chapter 9, verse 1. Just, just having left that group, he says, now... As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
And so they, as he leaves this group, he's got his disciples with him, continuing to train these men. He knows that one day he's going to leave them, and this ragtag team is going to start the church. And so he's in, in every opportunity, he's looking to teach them. And they come across a man on the side of the road begging, a blind man, a man blind from birth, and they ask the question that a lot of people ask, why is this man suffering? Why? And we ask that a lot because we all deal with suffering. Why do we suffer? They want to know. And in those days, the way they asked these questions, they were demonstrating an errant belief, one that the rabbis of the day taught. They taught that a... um in their asking, they're asking, did this man sin or did his parents sin? Did this man sin that he was born blind? They were expressing a belief that you could sin in the womb. You could sin in the womb. That's not true. That's an errant belief. And probably even more than that, they were expressing what you and I tend to fall into as well, something that we get tripped up over now and again. It's the idea that a specific infirmity is the result of a specific sin. That's not the case. We can't say this man got cancer because he did this thing. We can't say this lady committed adultery and that's why she can't walk anymore. You can't, it's not a tit for tat kind of thing where you can say that because of this sin, there is this result, there is this punishment. That's not the case at all. God isn't sitting up in heaven waiting for us to stumble so that he can lower the boom on us. And he doesn't have this great checklist to say, well, if Chris lies today, he's going to have trouble sleeping tonight. Or if Chris, you know, commits adultery, then he's going to break his leg. It doesn't work that way. A specific infirmity isn't the result of a specific sin. You can say, and we do say, that infirmity, that difficulty, that trial is, is the result of sin. Adam fell, and so we live in a fallen world. We all have trouble. We all have infirmity, but it's not specific. And so we need to remember that God is not looking to lower the boom on us every time we fall. God is looking for the opportunity to demonstrate his love toward us. And that when we do fall, his grace is there. And he's ready to pick us up and he's ready to dust us off. Does God chastise those whom he loves? Yeah. Hebrews would tell us that. God will correct us, and sometimes that correction for a time hurts. It's called the refiner's fire. We just sang it. Sometimes it hurts to be refined, but he's pulling those impurities out of us. He's pulling those the dross off of us that we might look more like him. And so that's not punishment because of a specific sin. That's correction because of a loving God. He loves us, therefore, He corrects us. And so these men, these disciples, were thinking that this man was born blind because either he sinned in the womb or his parents sinned, which was it? To them, there was no other alternative. But Jesus comes up with an alternative. 
He's God is waiting to bring mercy. And that's we're going to see that in the way that Jesus answers this. It says in verse 3, Jesus answered, neither, there it is, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so he says, it's not that his parents sinned. It's not that he sinned that this man was born blind. It's not specific. He's not saying that this man or his parents were sinless. Okay, hear that. But he's saying it's not, this man's blindness is not a result of their sin. How do we know that his parents sinned? How do we know that this man sinned? Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have. Me, you, everyone that's been born has sinned. So did this man's parents sin? Yeah, because all have sinned. Did this man sin? Yeah, because all have sinned. But it's not because of that that this man was born blind. Rather, this is an opportunity in his misery for God to reveal his ministry. God is is going to take an opportunity here to, uh, spoiler alert, in case you haven't figured it out yet, by the end of this chapter, in fact, in the next couple verses, the dude's going to see. Yeah, spoiler alert, sorry. He's going to see. And that's the purpose and the intent of Jesus' ministry, that his eyes would be open, that people would see that He is the light of the world. This physical miracle that happens is a great example or a great parallel of the spiritual miracle that happens when the eyes of our heart are opened to our need. And so it says in verse 6, when he had said these things, speaking of Jesus, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. If you grew up in church or if you're familiar with the Bible, if you've read it enough, we will just keep reading at that point. Because we're familiar with the works of Jesus. Like I said, we know what's going to happen. The blind man is going to receive sight. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that in my life anymore. I want to be enamored with the miracles of God. And so let's just pause here for a second. Put our feet in that man's shoes. Because we live in a day and age where if you are born blind, there are many aids to help you. You have canes that are available to you. You have seeing eye dogs that can be trained in order to assist you. You can have a fruitful and abundant life though you are still born blind. In that day and age, it was not the case at all. Were you born blind? You had no life. You weren't able to work, and so you resorted to begging. That's the only life you had, was that you were at the mercy of, of other people. You had to stick your hand out and hope that somebody put a coin in it. That was your life, begging that others might have mercy on you. And this man, sitting along the side of the road, Jesus walks by. He hears him. There's no evidence of even interaction here. Jesus doesn't even ask him. It appears that if he wants to be healed or not. 
He just, he spits in the ground, he makes some clay, slaps it on the guy's eye, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man is obedient to do that. He goes and does that. And just imagine, we don't know how old this guy was, but he lived his entire childhood never having seen, having to fumble around or trust somebody to guide him, having to, sh- having to be shown where his food was, having to be shown where the bathroom was. He lived his teenage years never laying eyes on another person, never seeing the beauty of a flower or a, be- a, a, sun- a sunny sky. He-, he lived as a young adult, hoping that one day he might fall in love, seeing his bride and, and-, and not having that opportunity. And somebody comes and slaps some mud on him. Go wash. He does. And as that water drips from his eyes, color and perception and depth and people's faces for the first time in his life. Beautiful miracle for this man. We can't just run past that. Have to stop and pause and say, Imagine what it would have been like to have no life at all, to be resort to begging, and in that moment be given another chance at life. And to see his mom and dad, and to see his friends, and to see the temple, and to see the one that made him well. It's beautiful. He came back seeing Nobody had to guide him back. He came back all by himself. Beautiful miracle. Jesus' most common miracle was giving sight to the blind. We read of him doing that more in the Gospels than any other miracle. What's interesting is he never performed the miracle the same way twice. He always did it differently. This time he put clay and told the guy to go wash. Sometimes he just healed the man or woman outright. Sometimes he would he, he put his eye, hands on him and then the guy saw a little bit and then the, he put his hands on him again and then he could see. Jesus never did the healing of a blind person the same way twice. Why? So that you and I, so that they, so that none of us would get caught up in the way the miracle was done. If Jesus did this, performed the miracle the same way each time, you and I would have a methodology to say, this is the way a blind person is healed. And we take our eyes and we put them on the gift rather than the one who gave the gift. Okay? We see the same problem in the Corinthian church. We're studying Corinthians on Wednesday night. And they were so excited about the spiritual gifts. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 as we've been studying. They were so excited to have the gift of healing, to have the gift of knowledge, to have the gift of prophecy, to have the gift of of tongues, that they got focused on the gifts themselves rather than who was the giver of the gifts. And that's a mistake. It's not who has what gift. It's who gave those gifts that we focus on. And Jesus, so He doesn't heal the the blind person the same way so that we can't focus on the methodology, but rather who performed the miracle, that being Jesus. It's that God works. It's not the way that He works that's important. He sends Him to the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. I've never seen this before. We started this time through in John. Time after time after time again, we are reading of being sent, of being sent. Jesus constantly proclaiming, I am the one who was sent by the Father. I am the one. I have been sent. 
here, even in the pool that he goes to, meaning sent. It's a message for you and I. We have been sent as well. Read the end of the book of Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our commission. You and I, just like Jesus, have been sent. So this man comes back seeing. How cool. Now verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not the one who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. (laughs) So he heads back and they're they're like, he's like, I can see. And the others, some of them are like, well, isn't that the guy that we gave him a quarter this morning as we walked by him? He was begging on the street and now he can see. And others are like, no, he just looks like him. Maybe he has a twin. Maybe this, this one of them could see. That's not him. And he says, nope, (laughs) I'm the dude. Uh, that's me. This morning I woke up. I did what I do every day. I have somebody take me down to the near the Temple Mount and I beg. And now I can see tomorrow I won't be here. I won't be doing that. Because I got Jesus has given me life. I like that this man stands on the, his testimony. He doesn't know anything about Jesus yet. Doesn't, doesn't know exactly what happened. It's going to be cool toward the end of the chapter exactly how this relationship goes on. But right now, all he knows is, I can see. And he's proclaiming that very boldly. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am that guy. I am him. He's standing on his testimony. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I haven't seen him. (laughs) (laughs) True, right? I I don't know what the guy looks like. You could be him for all I know. I don't know where he is. I just came back from the pool. So far, everyone's asking the wrong questions. Have you caught that? They, they, they started with the disciples. Why is this man in the condition that he is in? These guys, how is it that your eyes were opened? And then again, where is he? Those are the wrong questions. They need to be asking, who did this? Who did this? Don't ask the wrong questions. Seek the one who did it. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Verse 14. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Oh, Jesus. Don't, don't you know that there are six other days of the week, Jesus? Do you have to do this on the Sabbath? Couldn't you have picked Monday to do this that we wouldn't have to walk through this again? And Jesus said, no, no, no. I needed to do this on the Sabbath. This needed to happen today. Why? So that I can meet man in their trumped up traditions and tear them down. To make clay on the Sabbath, according to the Talmud, which is the the interpretation of the Mosaic law. It's not the Mosaic law. It's their interpretation of the law. To make clay was a, a, on the Sabbath was breaking the law of the Sabbath. That's not what it says in the Scriptures. That's not what it says in the Mosaic law. But that was their interpretation of it. And so very specifically, Jesus spits in the ground and makes clay in order to 
challenge the traditions of these men on the Sabbath day. And so this man stands before the Pharisees. It says in verse 15, then the Pharisees who all, who, then the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed it and I see. <laughs> it's almost like he's getting tired of the question already. This is what happened. This is what, but again, he's, all he's got is his testimony. The dude put clay on my eyes. He told me to go wash. The clay was kind of itchy. I went and washed and I woke up and I came out seeing. It's all good. That's what happened. Standing on his testimony. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And so even in the, the ranks of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Jesus is doing so much and is so powerful that even them, they are, are dividing now. How, a, a common sinner couldn't be doing these miracles. Surely the hand of God is upon them. Some of them were starting to see that He was the light of the world. Perhaps Nicodemus, back from chapter 3, chapter 2, leading that group. What's interesting about healing the blind, in the Old Testament, healing the blind is ascribed to the Messiah. In Isaiah, in three different spots in Isaiah, but specifically in Isaiah 35.5, speaking of the Messiah, it says that the Messiah, uh, the uh, sorry, of, speaking of the Messiah, it says the eyes of the blind shall be opened. That that the Messiah would perform this miracle, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Certainly in a spiritual way, but now we see it even in a physical way. So verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. I like that. You see the man taking a step similar to um, what the woman at the well did where she progressed in, in, the rea- in her, his, her relationship with Jesus. This man is beginning to progress in his relationship with Jesus, though he doesn't even know what he looks like at this point. He hasn't seen him. But he started by saying, a man named Jesus is the one who healed me. Now he says, of this man, he is truly a prophet. He's going to go on to call him Lord here in a little bit. He is a prophet. The man is progressing. But, verse 18, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received sight. They don't take his testimony. Until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The the men, they don't believe the testimony of this man, and so they bring in the parents. The parents are, are taken aback by the whole situation. They're a little bit afraid, and they say, yeah, that's our son. 
Yes, he was born blind. Somehow now he's seeing. I don't know. He's of age. Ask him. Their fear was that he would be, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. To you and I, it doesn't sound so bad. You just go down to the synagogue down the street, right? That's what happens. We get kicked out of church. We just go to another church. No big deal. Not like that in those days. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You were blacklisted entirely. You see, in those days, in those days, you didn't generally go and work for somebody else. You had a business of your own. You were a baker, or you were a tent maker, or a cobbler, or and you had your own business. You would go to each day and open up shop, and people would come, and you would trade and exchange, and that's how you made your money. It's not that like they didn't have corporate America in in those days, where there were ten thousand people working for one person. So you would have your own little business. Were you kicked out of the synagogue? No Jew that was part of the synagogue would then buy from you. And so had you been kicked out, you go open your doors on Monday morning and you are, it's crickets. Nobody's coming to you. And the next day, nobody's coming to you. And the next day, and nobody's buying anything from you. And then you're wondering where food's going to come from. And then you're wondering if you need to leave town. And then you, how do I provide for my family? And people would shun you. And, and, and your life would be virtually ended. Being kicked out of the synagogue was a huge deal. And so his parents didn't want to take any part of that. And so they step back. They say, he's of age, meaning he was an adult. You ask him. So the interrogation continues, verse 24. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) I love this guy. I, I can't make the judgment, he says. I don't know if this man was a sinner. It doesn't matter to me. I woke up this morning. I couldn't see where I was going. I can walk to you now and see you. My life's pretty good. I was blind. Now I see. That's all I know. I'm standing on the testimony that I have. I hope that gives you and I courage as well. Stand on the testimony that he has given you. God has changed our lives. Let that be our call. God has changed our lives. He stands strong on all that He has, which is His testimony. And you know what? No one can speak against what God has done in your life. There's nothing that these men can say to the blind man. There's There's no refuting what God has done. I was blind. Now I see. That's what I got. I'm going to continue to stand on it. And he's going to make some great arguments. We'll get to them here in a minute. But I want to read something taken from Christianity Today, August 8, 2008. It says, John was, a, was nurtured by a Christian mother who taught him the Bible at an early age. He was raised in his father's image after she died of tuberculosis when he was seven. At age 11, John went on his first of six sea voyages with the merchant Navy captain. John lost his first job in a merchant's office because of, quote, unsettled behavior and impatient of restraint, end quote. What's that mean? John was a bad boy. A pattern that would persist for years. 
He spent his later teen years at sea before he was press-ganged aboard the HMS Harwich in 1744. John rebelled against the discipline of the Royal Navy and deserted. He was caught, put in irons, and flogged. He eventually convinced his superiors to discharge him to a slaver ship. Espousing free-thinking principles, he remained arrogant and insubordinate. He lived with the moral abandon. He lived with moral abandon. Quote, I sinned with a high hand, he later wrote, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. He took up employment with a slave trader named Clow, who owned a plantation of lemon trees off an, on an island off of West Africa. But he was treated cruelly by Clow and the slaver's African mistress. Soon John's clothes turned to rags, and he was forced to beg for food to allay his hunger. The sluggish sailor was transferred to the ship of the captain of the Greyhound, a Liverpool ship, in 1747. And on its homeward journey, the ship was overtaken by an enormous storm. John had been reading Thomas A. Kempis, The Imitation of Christ, and was struck by a line about the uncertain continuance of life. He also recalled the passage in Proverbs, quote, Because I have called and ye have refused, I will also laugh at your calamity. End quote. He converted during the storm. Though he admitted later, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word. And the, the article continues on, but let me just summarize. After several more years in ships and slave trading, at the age of 30, he fell ill and would never set sail again. It is at this point John began his study of Latin, Greek, and theology. He would go on to begin a, a Thursday night prayer meeting for which he would pen a new hymn each week. Can you imagine? I've got Thursday night prayer. I've got to write a new hymn. 280 hymns this man wrote. One of these hymns became the most famous of hymns. Of course, we're speaking of John Newton and his hymn, Amazing Grace. Perhaps John was reflecting on this passage in John chapter 9 when he wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton's eyes were opened. This man's eyes were opened. Sadly, the Pharisees' eyes were not. And we see that here in 26. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already. <laughs> and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> that is so cool. This guy doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. And he's already evangelizing. I've already told you, you weren't listening. I'm not going to tell you again. Oh, do you want to follow him? 
I think I'm going to follow him. Do you want to? Come on, let's go. Evangelizing already. Awesome. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is yet from, or where he is from. Yet, he has opened my eyes. <laughs> Listen to that again. This man says, This is a marvelous thing. What's a marvelous thing? Their lack of belief is a marvelous thing to this man. He's like, my eyes have been opened. I, I'm here to testify of that. I cannot believe, is what he's saying, that you guys still don't get it. That you guys are still blind. That's more marvelous to him than the fact that Jesus performed a miracle to give him his sight. That these men are still blind and they cannot see it. And then he makes a, a logical defense of Jesus. It says in 31, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. Is that true? Does God not hear sinners? They they certainly believed that in those days. And there's some Old Testament texts that would support that to some degree. Psalm 66, verse 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But were it true that God never hears sinners, none of us would be saved. None of us would be saved. Because it's in our sin that we call out to Him, we cry out to Him in need of a Savior. He hears us in our sin and redeems and restores and brings us back. So God does hear sinners. What's the difference? It depends on where your heart is pointed. You see, we can call out from our sin that we don't want anything to do with that sin anymore, that we're tired of that life, that we no longer want to live that way. And we are turning from that sin. That's called repentance. We're turning from that sin and we're crying out to our God. And in that cry, though we are yet still in our sin, God hears and saves. Those that, like it says in Psalm 66, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I'm chasing after that iniquity, if I pursue that sin, then God will not hear when I cry out to Him. John Newton, it took a storm. A little bit of reading and a great and massive storm. But it's in that moment that he cried out. He recognized his need for a Savior. God heard him and delivered. So what is this man saying? Well, I think he's referring back to this man, speaking of Jesus, must be of God. He's not the average man. He's not just the common sinner. He must be of God because it's spoke of in the Old Testament that the Messiah is the one who would heal the blind. It says in verse 32, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is unprecedented territory that they are walking in. No one had ever received sight who had been born blind until this day, until this man stood before the Pharisees and said, it's happened this day. Surely God is with Jesus is what this man is saying. A man blind from birth was healed. He must be. Jesus must be the Messiah. 
They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin, and you are teaching us? And they cast him out. They refused to see. They refused to hear. They're blind. They're deaf. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Now, what, what the parents were afraid of, remember? That's happened to this man now. And for a moment, as he received his sight, life given back to him, I can go get a job. I can go find a wife. I can go live again. I don't have to resort to begging in the street. Is suddenly taken away from him in the very same day. He's cast out of the synagogue. He's blacklisted. But Jesus comes to those that are outcast and meets him. Jesus heard they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Just tell me who he is. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. That is so cool. You have seen him. Well, I haven't seen many people (laughs) going at this for about six hours now. (laughs) Who is he that I might worship him? You've seen him and you're talking to him now. And the man bows down and worships. Awesome, Lord. And so we see this man's progression. Jesus is just a man. Jesus is a prophet. No, Jesus is Lord. And he bows his life. He bows his heart before this man. He worships him. And what I want to see, there's no indication here that Jesus rejects the worship. That's good, because Jesus is God. He is rightful of the worship, and He receives it. We see when John, the author of Revelation, goes to heaven, he falls down before an angel, another created being. And the angel's like, dude, get up. Don't worship me. Worship God. Jesus doesn't do that in this moment. Why? Because He's worthy of the man's worship. He is deity. He is God. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be blind. Remember, He is the light of the world, coming to expose blindness. Then some of the Pharisees who were with Him heard these words and said to Him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. They claim to have the sight. They claim to be able to see, yet their vision has failed because they don't see that Jesus, this man before them, is the Messiah. Do you? Do you see that this man, Jesus, is the Savior of the world. That He is the light of the world. Are you still walking in blindness? It's my prayer today that the veil that covers the heart of the unbelieving in this room would see their need for a Savior. They they would see that they have a need that can only be met in the man Jesus Christ, the light of the world that His light would shine on our souls, that we would see the darkness that is contained therein, and that we would cry out to Him and say, Lord, I need You. Just as this man, Lord, I believe. 
I want to see. Do you see him? Do you? Jesus, you came to set the captive free. My chains are gone. I've been set free through the blood of the Lamb of God. Lord, you came to restore sight to the blind and so much more than just in a physical sense. We have been spiritually blind to God. And now our eyes are opened. We see all that you have done and how much we need you. I thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to the plan of God the Father. You were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You loved us so much, Jesus, that you were willing to take your life and put it on a cross that I deserve. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Church 860 podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed it. If you have, we ask that you would like and subscribe to the podcast so that you can get daily updates. If you'd like to know more about Church 860, please visit church860.com. Thank you. God bless.